0: Welcome to Kapwa Conversations, a podcast that amplifies the voices of Filipino, Philippine ex-folks in the health and wellness space. We use the indigenous wisdom of Kapwa, or shared inner self, to connect, inspire, and remember that we are all connected. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and be in Kapwa together. You can also help spread the word by sharing today's episode on social media and tagging us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. Without any further ado, here's today's conversation. On today's show, we have Aya Tirado. Aya is a multidimensional healing artist whose medicine blends the use of body, voice, ritual, and storytelling. She is also the founder of Dali Movement, a guided and durational free-form healing dance practice originated and developed in the Philippines that many people find liberating, transformative, and healing. With 17 years of professional dance and teaching experience coupled with a lion's heart for social justice, Aya created original contemporary performance rituals that engage both lyrically and viscerally with the politics of identity, society, sexuality, collective rage, grief, spirituality, and healing. She practices Reiki and other intuitive healing modalities and is deeply engaged with the spiritual legacies and practices of the Filipina shaman priestesses or babaylan. Hello and welcome. Aya. Hi Aya.
1: Hello, Paul. Hi. I'm happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so happy to have you. How, how are you doing at this time? How's everything?
1: I'm good. I'm doing really good. Um, doing a lot of online work, um, but still I'm um, giving workshops. And um, yeah, I'm just, I, I just moved here. Um, in La Union, which is five or six hours away from Manila, I've been here since the lockdown, and so I would say I'm having a really good time. It's much more quiet than being in the big city, and um, just taking it one day at a time. How about you? I'm
0: good. Yeah, I'm similar. I'm in Queens, so yeah, just getting used to this new normal and trying to have practices that keep me present and. Yeah. And mindful. And yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people know, but the first time when we met was through your Dalai movement classes. And I really didn't have any notion of what it might look like. And I didn't know how much my, my body really needed that, really needed that to be held in that way, in that space to, feel and buy it again. So I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit about that and how it came about and, and kind of the, the vision behind that because I feel like it, it was and it is such a powerful offering.
1: Salamat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daloy, Daloy is Tagalog word for flow. Um, Daloy Movement is this workshop um, that started as an embodied research since 2014, the same time that I started a Manila-based dance company called Dalai Dance Company. And so it's a workshop that I've tried to teach um, to thespians, dancers, non-dancers, um, um, all genders, and, and you know um, all body types, and also all people. It came from for my wanting to make dance accessible to a lot of people and dance not as a form or a technique, but um, dance as this intuitive activity that could get people into a state of flow. And so I got a grant called the Asian Cultural Council, which led me to go to New York and study dance as a healing practice, dance movement therapy, and all of that. And before that and after that, I was able to keep my research um, ongoing by, yeah, teaching this practice to a lot of people. And many people find it transformative, um, liberating, relaxing, and even healing. Yeah, it started from my curiosity um, around, okay, so there are a lot of Eastern philosophies and practices that, you know, heal in their own way in their own right, such as, you know, yoga from India or Reiki from Japan or Qigong from China. And I thought the closest that we have here in the Philippines is Hilot. And that's great. And it's amazing. And it's something that I love, but it also takes um, form of touch and another person to give it to you. And I was like, okay, what is what could be a practice that, that could really make you feel independent and find authenticity through movement and presence? And so that's how DALER came about. Um, and up until now, Dalai movement is an evolving practice and is something that is being taught by other facilitators and also by me. Um, and now it's being more influenced by not only my background in yoga and Reiki and mindfulness, but, but more now in energy work, energy medicine, and also um, spiritual practices and philosophy of the Babaylan that focuses on inner work, inner or um, kalooban. And also, pakikiramdam or intuition. So, there. And, and also, um, yeah, it, it, it comes from the premise that body is nature or body as nature. So, all the five elements, air, water, earth, fire, ether, they could be embodied, sensed, tapped into, something we can really attune with using visualization, imagery, um, mind-body connection. Embodiment basically.
0: I think it's one of those things also that you need to experience for yourself to really understand because, yeah, there's a lot that I feel like you've been able to integrate and synthesize with the elements and movement and this recalling, remembering of Babylon healers within our our Filipino indigenous heritage that you need to experience it because also I tried three sessions and Mm -hmm. one of them is facilitated by someone other than Aya Mm -hmm. and the experience is totally different each time Mm -hmm. where there's this this bringing of wherever you are in that moment whatever Mm. your body is telling you, whatever the Mm. room, the space that you're moving Mm. in is telling you. And then also you, the facilitator, the way that it is such a practice in being present because all these people are are being present and and holding Mm. that space for each other. It's really
1: powerful. Yeah, definitely. It is a presence practice. Like even... Even the facilitator's training, um, yes, there is a spine or a structure, you know, like in any other like class that, you know, later on becomes codified. But at the heart of it is um, training that person or facilitator to be as intuitive as possible, because it's a lot of it's a lot of listening to the moment and it's a lot of listening to what's present and what's in there. And, and yeah, so, so I totally agree that, you know, with different facilitators, it will really be different. And, and as well as, you know how in contemporary performances, um, there's that theory or philosophy that, you know, the process in which we perform, the, the, the process that our body goes through is just as important as the output that the audience sees, there's kind of that similarity also for the teacher. So the teacher is not there to just give and give and give, you know, like like, like a mother, like it's endless, endless giving. But uh, but to balance that off is there's that deeper state of listening as to, you know, what is authentic also for the facilitator in that moment. Mm, A lot of it is also we're, we're slowly teaching channeling work. And I know that that's not as let's say, as popular in mainstream media, or it's still uh, very woo-woo, but it's it's another check-in with, you know, like, um, psycho-spiritual work that is also part of this practice, part of being able to pa- facilitate this practice, and part of Part of the feeling that, you know, intuition is something that has been shunned for, for centuries by, you know, um, by colonizers. Uh, patriarchy and its poses have, have mainly, you know, told many healers and, and healing arts practitioners that, no, your intuition is not um, evidence-based and hence, you know, it doesn't, have, it doesn't merit anything. That had reverberated and regenerated a lot of doubt in these sacred healing arts. And so, yeah, this is a lot of um, revitalizing and, and getting back reverence for intuition.
0: Yeah, it is. Once you once you're able to tap into it, it really does feel like a superpower. And I think that what what I'm thinking of is even. The word I th- I've heard it a lot, in the the woo woo word, and how even that has a negative context, no. and that is often told from a colonial, oftentimes white white gaze, white voice. Toward something that is indigenous and usually mm. is an indigenous healing practice. And mm. there is a discrediting of it by mm. saying, oh, I'm just gonna brush off this multi-thousand year old tradition and call it woo woo because it's not grounded in my, mm. my sense of awareness. And I think mm. this time where, you know, we're recording this around the end of September, where we're still quarantined in the midst of a pandemic, where it's important to know what your intuition is. Know who oh. you are in that silence because oh. I think the other thing that I'm thinking of is for us who come into this kind of practice, who have a dance or movement background, there's a lot of things that can come up when you come into this practice and you realize that you're not doing it to perform you're not doing it for social media you're not doing Mm. it for anyone else's validation of you Mm. you're doing it as an internal practice to understand Mm. what it means to be embodied for the sake of being embodied Mm. and yeah I think that That's what was so powerful for me. The first Mm. time I experienced it Mm. for myself is that having months of not feeling in my body because of Mm. everything going on in the external world and feeling this disconnect with dance because we might have thought of it to be one way of it needing to be in a studio and needing to have Mm. mirrors and Mm. needing to have this perfect... Almost Flory. sterilized environment, yeah. yeah. But yeah. there's something about being in the messiness, being in the yeah. raw realness of it.
1: Yeah,
0: there, that yeah. really.
1: And and yeah, being being confrontational, <laughs> being in that state of radical self honesty, while you're in that state of movement or stillness, or yeah, dancing between those two. Um, I really love what you said that. Yeah, especially for those of us who have, you know, a strong dance performance background wherein there is a strong sense memory of our bodies being used for performance, um, for performativity, for being witnessed. And and alongside with that comes, you know, that very human nature propensity to want to be validated, to want to be applauded, to want to be celebrated by, you know, an audience from an external source. But I think a practice like this that draws from, no, it's not for anyone. It's really for you. It's really a dance between you and you. For some people, that's a dance between you and a capital letter Y, you, and that could be spirit, all that is, God, goddess, whatever it is. And even for those who are, let's say, they don't believe in any of those stuff, that's a dance between you and the most honest you can get with yourself you know, and, and how much you can focus in this present moment and what kind of truths or truths that you can find eventually, as it's also durational. It pushes mm-hmm. you to keep focusing. And we know at this digital age, like focusing attention is a currency. That's it, you know, um, and also honing again that capacity to focus for that long and that capacity to be intuitive for that long and during this digital age we're in, we are bombarded by images everywhere we look at in the digital world, you know, wherein we have our avatar and everything is just going buy me, take me, read me, get me, etc. More than ever, I think a strong inner compass and intuition is a muscle that we could really get back to and hone so that, you know, our energies are not calat or like yeah, so scattered. chaotic.
0: Yeah. scattered
1: and out there and we we could have a moment of centeredness, you know, a moment of being able to dance with the chaos around us, being able to dance while it's all spinning and spin with it without mm. losing our sense of okay, this is what my intuition tells me.
0: Yeah, the thing that comes to mind is like a divine dance to give mm. yourself to this more divine, larger Dance of
1: grief, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I also love what you said about, you know, um, there's an open an openness now to where dance could happen. Like finally we're open to, yeah, actually you don't need the perfect space. You don't need the perfect space. You just really need your, your body, your breath, um, your focus, your awareness, your consciousness. And I would say I am privileged to be by the sea during the quarantine and at this peri- period of my life, I would like to think that this is, this is a wish or a desire that I finally manifested, you know, looking back like, okay, really, why? Why was I into trying to embody all these elements? And, and all I could think of is, I guess, because I've, I grew up in a place where I've been so cut off from nature, and I've been so cut off from what's natural to me. I mean, being born and raised in a big city and then at a very young age, like, you know, going and hopping on that proverbial rat race, um, so to speak, you know, in the ballet world, wherein my body had been used for presentation, for for capital, for livelihood, for, for, for the sake of art and beauty. And that shunned, And that became the most important thing over my own health, mentally, physically, psychologically, emotionally. And that kind of affected the health of my relationship with other people, my loved ones, my community, how I see the environment. And so maybe in 2014, what I would say is like a pivotal point is, you know what, like I don't, like there was something inherently wrong it was just a very intuitive moment. And I was by the beach and I started to dance and it felt like hours and it felt like an out-of-body experience. And it felt like, wow, this is how it felt like when I was you know, five years old. And I just really genuinely felt like I'm not dancing for people, but I'm dancing for something bigger. And then, and that's when it felt like, oh, I wanna be able to share this and teach this and say that there is value in this and there is healing in this. And so, there. <laughs> and uh-huh. I'm so privileged that I'm back um, by the ocean, by the sea, by the water. And yeah, that primal connecting back to, to the elements, connecting back to things that are natural. And there feels like it's a rerouting back to land, to water, even to like ancestral and ancestral connections. Mm-hmm and being in this dance that feels like a shared reciprocity.
0: <laughs> that feels like a reciprocity hearing it because I think even though we are on different sides of the world, you're in the Philippines and I'm based out of New York right now, I've also had a very similar experience where that I grew up in a, I, you know, I was born and raised here in New York and been very accustomed to this hustle culture of always being in the go and always having a side hustle and doing dance, but then also having, you know, a full-time job. I'm doing an air quote now, but a full-time job for a traditional career. And yeah, also experience things that are similar where you just burn out your body because you're not listening to the intuition that your body is telling you, you can't sustain this until mm. until it screams at you in the form of yeah. an injury or a major oh, life yeah. event. And then, mm. yeah, it was, it was a similar thing for me. And then I had a trip that was planned to go through. And mm. right after that, I had an injury and all these big life things happened. And uh, it was kind of off the the whim of mm. doing this hike to a mountain. And yeah, ended up, it ended up being a half day thing. And I reached, I had to give of all of myself mentally, mm. physically, spiritually to reach the peak. And then it's mm. one of those things of once you empty your ego and mm. your body and all of these things, then in one moment, seeing that peak, you're able to be filled with, all, all the real things, the spirit, Ooh. the knowing, the God Ooh. universe. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. And then you're just, your awareness gets opened. And it's like, once you have that, there's a, there's a Buddhist term of it. Once you have your first enlightenment, then Ooh. it can set you off on this path of, yeah. Meeting Ooh. other people who are in reciprocity, yeah. who are, who are in, that searching of higher mm. consciousness, which is why, yeah, it feels beautiful that we've been able to intertwine yeah. different paths. Yeah,
1: I so agree with that. And it feels like, you know, like you are guided. You are guided. Um, uh, actually, um, talking about awakening or enlightenment, something like that, like I have, like it's so, I guess I, I have more, Compassion and acceptance for it now that it's like, Whoa. and then you have laundry the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and that's <laughs> and the practice. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then you're like, oh my God, I'm enraged. And and yeah, yeah, that's a practice, definitely. Like the going down the mountain.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like you, maybe you had this experience in the mountain or by the ocean, but eventually you're going to have to go back to the city where you're from. And how do you yeah, keep yeah. That, that sense of yeah. awareness yeah. when you're back yeah. into, yeah, waking up to yeah. an alarm and running to yeah. work? Yeah.
1: yeah, writing emails or like, yeah, yeah. And, and and for me now being in conversation with more people who are not on that wavelength and how do I no, hold yeah. compassion and like least to zero judgment at all and seeing it as it's just a different experience. I think one of key things for me, I've I've only been here 6 months. I'm what's really really exciting is it's a new place, getting to meet a lot of people, a lot of locals, getting to see you know, all, you know, I fell in love with this place. That's why I'm here. And it's called La Union, which is the union, which I'm like, wow, what a perfect place, you know, like it's in yoga, it's integration, yoga. union yeah, of yeah. mind, body and spirit, like, wow, what a magical, you know, name for a place. So all of that, and the other things that I love about it, from how it looks, the people that I initially met, the conversations that I'm having, um, how I feel like it's, it's gentrified enough you know, mm. <laughs> to have like what to have the usual stuff in Manila, such as like good food, um, touristy enough to like if I want that I can go there. Um, but then also you know as I'm falling in love with a place and, and at the same time staying the place for longer, you know, seeing the other side of the coin, you know, such as um, history, um, people, habits, patterns, um, and. And yeah, it's interesting for me to be in practice, to be in practice of loving kindness, to be in practice of metta, to be yeah, in I, practice of what is what is practical and practiced spirituality.
0: I think that metta, loving kindness practice is so important these days, especially because it feels like the narrative is that we're divided, that... Mm whether it's ideologically or geography that that Mm. we are separate, there's a us versus them, but Mm. yeah, these practices, whether it's movement or meditation or whatever practice that you have that helps ground you, they, with the root of it, it shows shows interconnectedness Mm. shows, shows that you and I are, are more connected Mm. than we are separate. Yeah.
1: I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Kapwa, shared cells. Oh, yes. <laughs>
0: and the the other thing that has been really powerful from from my experience of um, being in Kapwa with you is the Ugnayan
1: series um, ah, yeah.
0: where you brought together all these amazing Philippinex teaching artists from around the diaspora and and gave us all this platform to share with aspiring artists in in the Philippines. And I never knew, at least from my experience, I I didn't realize how powerful it is to be Mm. in a room where we all have this shared cultural identity that we don't have Mm. to explain ourselves that we don't Mm. have to feel like an other or like Mm. there's something that we need to accommodate for other people to to digest our identities and Mm. yeah i'd love to hear a little bit about what was the inspiration behind that and the vision behind it and maybe where you see it going in the future Mm.
1: Ognayan is, like what you said, it's a platform for Philippine dance artists uh, based in the Philippines and the diaspora to just connect. And Ognayan is a Tagalog word for connection, Ugnayan or connections. Um, I'm really happy with it. It went for two weeks. I'm so grateful that you're part of it and you're able to share your practice. So we had town hall meetings. uh, We had workshops. We had classes. Um, We had some artists um, show their work through a dance film. And we had some artists show their work through live performance via Zoom. So it was really, really interesting. It's our first time to do it. It's really a test run. Yeah, I really like the commonality that the commonality, the home, the feeling of a safe space that most people found in those Zoom rooms. The conversations that were stirred up, that the also the differences in priorities as artists, mm. you know. So so I that's something that I saw from a difference in priority of what comes out in their work you know, um, for those who are based in New York, for those who are based in Berlin, for those who are based in the Philippines. So I love that variety. And I love that it became a space for people to listen, to listen to all these pressing issues, or even to listen and make space for other artists who, whose interest in their art making, dance making, or choreography that's not into politics or not into activism. And some are into environment and some are into sacred healing arts. So I love that there's a, Diversity of experimentations and explorations in their art making, but what threads them together is, um, yeah, their root in being Filipino, in you know, um, in different ways, in different levels. Some of some of them, you know, um, have grown up here and then eventually went abroad. Some have, you know, been all the time, all these years abroad, and have, some, have had some trips in the Philippines, but I've always wanted to reroute and know more friends and more people from back home. As one of the key things why I thought that this is important, um, you know, for aspiring young artists, dance artists in the Philippines, I remember 10 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago, wanting to travel, wanting to see the world, wanting to see contemporary dance from other people's eyes and perspectives and wanting to have those conversations. And I remembered really feeling, you know, like just disheartened that it's expensive. (laughs) That's one. It's expensive to travel. You need to get sponsorship. You need to get grants. You need to have the right connections. And as I grow older, that's when I really realized that connections and relationships are everything. You know, like um, when I was younger, I was told by an aunt that oh, it's not really what you know; it's who you know. And from the one hand, ah, oh, but that sucks, okay? That's how politicians get away with things, you know. <laughs> that's one. But the other end of that stick is, yeah, that's right. I mean, we get lucky along the way because of the relationships that we we have, we foster, we rekindle, we maintain. And I'm like, okay, now that that most of the Filipino dance artists that I know here, and especially who are coming from the urban poor and, you know, even have, doesn't have like that strong of an internet, um, something that could uplift their spirits is like, okay, you know what, let's make new friends and let's just make new connections. And, you know, let's keep being in that study mode around contemporary dance and let's make it inexpensive. And so yeah, so that's the idea behind that. Um, as for a vision, like I hope we do it again next year. For now, I'm thinking maybe it's doable to do it once a year, but maybe they, there could be more. Um, the Philippines don't have a lot of grant-giving bodies, and neither are we a culture of patrons for contemporary performance or contemporary dance. We have those patrons and institutions who support Visual arts, because those are tangible and they, they could be inherited, you know, and they could there could be a business out of that. Or, or if it's like big, like the Cultural Center of the Philippines or Ballet Philippines, something grand. But for, let's say, artists that are from the fringes, independent, we are still in the process of growing that ecosystem of financial infrastructures and support. So, yeah, having said that, I hope it will be interesting. I hope there will be more infrastructures of financial support within our country. But to make it doable now, energetically, I'm thinking we can do it once a year. So another one next year, um, again, the same format, town hall meetings, discussions, different artists, you know, Filipino dance artists from different parts of the world sharing their dance practice, sharing who they are, sharing their story, Yeah, and letting it evolve into a space where people could cohere, could care for one another, could feel safe, and maybe a future creative and collaborative exchange production could happen. So...
0: I definitely think there was, there is, there there was so much energy and power in that. And as somebody who is a facilitator in Ugnayan, you know, for me, that's always been... A dream as somebody who was born and raised in the diaspora to get the opportunity to share my art in the Philippines. And I, you know, I maybe put that as a, as an intention to manifest at some point, but that has been an amazing silver lining of this time is that we're able to To make that happen, to remove Mm -hmm. some barriers of travel and Mm -hmm. visa and all this monetary political structure Mm -hmm. that even though we are confined, we're able to create so and and be Mm -hmm. in community. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I really I really hope that there is an infrastructure that happens in the future mm-hmm. and that there mm-hmm. is more attention that comes from mm-hmm. upnayan that there yeah. is there is a, a beautiful community that is growing there that deserves yeah. to be nourished. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and also um, you know, hopefully when when it's legal and it's safe next year in the coming years, we can all like physically be together, you know, be in a retreat together and dance yes. together. Uh, yeah that would be
0: amazing yes i'd love to see what the union looks like and yeah all of us collaborate musician and the water and uh that's the next thing to manifest (laughs) and i think i remember hearing that you are or were in goddess training is that
1: Yes, yes. Yeah,
0: I'd, I'd love to hear what that is. I mean, it sounds like, what I think it does. I was like, what is the first step of that?
1: <laughs> no, I um, during the pandemic, I was studying um, with a priestess, and her name is Dershan Mendoza. She's also uh, Filipina, mm-hmm. um, but also, um, I think, um. I think uh, raised or um, spent a lot of her time in Hawaii and also in the States, uh-huh. and then she used to run a healing retreat um, in Hawaii up until um, a huge volcano there erupted, and then she ended up writing a best-selling book, and so she's a best-selling author of, of a book called "The Luminary Journey," or something like that. She formed this project called Thirteen Temples," wherein she is training priestesses from all over the world and I'm one of the priestesses that she picked and so I was in training with her and then eventually I was able to form my own offering and it's called When She Comes, An Emergence of the Goddess Within Through Dance and Song and mainly I feel like it's the colonial work and for those Filipinos who are situated in the Philippines, um, you know, who can... Uh, in their own way and in their own right say, yeah, but I don't feel colonized anymore. Like I accept because we have, we have those people here who talk like that. And that's really how they, they view themselves in relation to, to that word decolonial. And, and I just, you know, say that right off the bat, that when we say decolonial or decolonization, that has a very different definition for different circles of people who's trying to decolonize. And so, A lot of people who are here, who have been here for a very long time and is used to the government and its oppressions or religion and its endocrinization, everything, they don't resonate with the word decolonization. But with my work with them, what they kind of resonate with is liberation, Mm. liberatory work, liberatory paradigm. Um, and, And the thing is, and I mostly tell them, okay, we have freedoms in the sense of like, we're free, we're not in jail, and we can do pretty much, you know, stuff that we want. But in my perspective, a lot of deliberation that still needs to happen is really mental and emotional and psychological and rooted in the ways we speak and we move. Um, and when we're not conscious and when we're not aware, we move from that autopilot. And so um, a lot of my previous works that um, are resonated in my workshops or in the actual works that I produce on stage are feminist in nature. They stand for healing of a woman's body and they stand for collectivizing care. They stand for... Being backed up or as a spine is this liberatory paradigm. What are ways in which we are still, you know, um, feeling oppressed or victimized? So, there, forming when she comes touches on um, the erotic as power, the erotic as something that could be embodied in how we eat, like actual food, how we breathe, how we deeply nourish ourselves. And, and how we allow ourselves to play and sing and dance intuitively. And so it's a three-month program um, and it's it turned out to be a women's circle. And we have women um, from different parts of the world and also women from the Philippines. So the structure is also, it's a balance between having that flow and having that structure or direction as me as a facilitator but me also being sensitive that I am not the authority figure. I am only giving invitation for for these women to feel safe enough to get into radical self-honesty, self-awareness so that they can choose for themselves the exercises, the, the songs that we're sharing, the the tools, the practical tools that, that they could use for their own self-care and so that even amidst this pandemic, they could feel sovereign. They could feel like they have a choice. They could feel more in their bodies versus in their heads thinking, ah, what will my family think? What will my religion think? What will other Filipinos think? What will my aunt think? And it is decolonial in that way um, that we are viewing away from that colonial programming of shame, guilt, fear and moving from a place of the wounding that there could be in Pakikisama. And that's a wounding that I've seen in so many women and women's bodies saying yes, even though we mean no. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and, and, you know, um, and tackling on issues around consent, rape, what it means to... To have no shame around, you know, self pleasure, solo sex, talking about pleasure as as a birthright. I would say that we're only at the tip of the iceberg around these topics, and and also it's a start. So, yeah, that's what I meant with okay. Let's tap into that goddess consciousness and that goddess energy. Being in that present moment, let's trust, let's surrender, let's flow. But really, how to utilize these things into practical tools and techniques that we can use. So there, when, when we come.
0: Yes, <laughs> you come? I get it now. <laughs> and there's, so there's so much there. I mean, I think the two things I'm thinking of is one, the, it's really great to hear your perspective on decolonization and how it's received in the Philippines and mm. using the, the framework of liberation, mm. liberation work and framing it that way to to have it be digestible for mm. Filipinos in the Philippines is is very interesting. I wouldn't have thought that, but I think it does make sense because for me, I'm I'm newer, I maybe a year or so into decolonization work um, mm. personally. And a big entry point for me has been the Center for further Violence Studies. Oh. And that is an organization that's based in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they do have events that are open to everyone. And I think one of the conversations where we had have people who were born in the Philippines and then oh. in their generation, they they moved to america and had families and are now mm. in their i don't want to say later years but in their mm. in their young elder years mm. are going into this decolonization work and they talk about how their peers who are either came with them in the same generation to america or are still in the philippines they don't get the work they don't get yeah. what they're doing and they say mm. what you just said that I don't need to decolonize because I was born in the Philippines and I, I don't need to remember anything because I have lived memories of it. But
1: yeah.
0: But there yeah. is all the things that you are saying with when she comes about the sexual sovereignty mm. and not realizing that all the shame and Catholic guilt and mm. all of these different systems that are telling us that Embracing our sexuality and, and pleasure mm. is a bad mm. thing. Is, mm. It has been given to us by
1: crime mm. yeah. and And also, like, for example, I'm, I'm seeing it now. I mean, to parallel it. Okay, so in other Western countries, so you have, like, as a big issue, racism. And so, yes, it is important for minorities to really decolonize. Um, in the Philippines, um, there is a, a parallelism, um, in, in such a way that um, there's a huge class divide. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we've garnered our independence, but there's a huge class divide. There is that, there's the oligarchy and the, the higher class. And then there is, a, in a way, like racism that is through seeing, seeing another person because they're lower class, because they just don't have that much money. So that's one. And then correlating that with the imperial Manila Wherein ah, oh, everything is in Manila, everything that's better and the best is in Manila, and everything that's on the outskirts of Manila is just again seen as less. And so going back to that liberatory, you know, paradigm and, and speaking about how to craft ways and have new rituals of gathering wherein those minorities who have been, you know, whether they're conscious of it or not, suffering from inferiority complex because they've always been seen as less. Survival mode has been in their heads most of the time. How to give them voice, how to let them be at the center of these gatherings, how to soften the boundaries, you know, and, and have have more rituals of gatherings that are more unifying than dividing. That's something that I'm, I'm seeing as a parallel to, like like something that's, a parallel to racism that's happening in Western countries. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even actually, as I speak now and, you know, and I speak language, uh, I speak the English language like this, a lot of Filipinos, again, who are seen as those in the lower class or in the outskirts of Imperial Manila are, you know, like they don't speak English like this. And so even in, in situations where conversations are happening, I think it will take time for them to develop and, and what are the ways in which caregivers or facilitators and space holders like me could could give them that confidence that no, it's safe for you to be heard. You're not going to be judged in this space, and and also for those who have more privilege, such as I, to be in that space of of knowing that I have that power and I have that privilege, and 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 this is one way of like unifying all of these divisions, you know, that the colonizers have used to conquer us.
0: Yeah. And I, I really hope that that sits in with with uh, everyone who's hearing it today, hearing this conversation, because I think probably most of the people listening to this are in the U.S., maybe Canada area, listening to this and are maybe a generation or a little removed from the experience in the Philippines. And I think it's really important that you share that so that it brings that issue to awareness for those of us who maybe travel to the Philippines as tourists or even visiting our family who are still there that it's easy for us to just walk into that dynamic and not question mm. it. And mm. I know I felt that way. I speak um, Tagalog and Cebuano from where my family is from, and um, yeah, I can I can speak it fluently, but I present as a philam or for a little more foreign because of either how I look or how I dress or how I speak English mm-hmm. and have noticed that I'm instantly treated a different way than my cousins would be mm-hmm. were with me in the same place and all of that is deeply rooted in in basically what you're saying mm-hmm. these class structures and
1: mm-hmm. I think it's
0: important for those of us to to go back to have who are maybe on this decolonizing experience who are being called back to the philippines to also be aware of that going into mm. it and not just feed into uh yes you're coming in at this higher point than mm. the people who you're visiting because they're yeah. the, the goal is for all of us yeah. to be liberated
1: yeah um, yeah, yeah. With the same and, and, and access mm. yeah yeah, and I love what you said about that higher point. Like for me, um, for me at the heart of it, that's where all systems of oppression come from. When one person says, I'm I'm I belong to this higher point. And and I think, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why um, when a group of people say, I come from this higher point and we're higher, and then you're lower, like across, you know, like that's mm. That's when hate happens. That's when, you know, um, overpowering happens. And we've not only done it across um, different groups of people, but across species and the planet. And so going back to this thing that I've been offering, and I'm still evolving, which is tapping into the goddess consciousness and reintroducing a different ritual of gathering that is more circular than a top-down, hierarchical, oppressive structure wherein you know, the introdu- introduction is not one knowledge is better than another. The introduction is no one is higher than another. And that there, is, there could be dialectics and understanding and how can we soften that boundaries around the divisions that we have been made to believe that exist. I guess, yeah, integration, unification, yeah. Liberation, all of,
0: all of those, yeah. yeah. Those words that really get us to, yeah, seeing each other for who we really are. Yeah. As we start to close, because I think there's so much good things that we have brought to this conversation. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you want to lift up?
1: As an invitation, we are launching um, Dalloy Dance Company on our seventh year this coming January, but we are renaming it to just Dalloy. And we are evolving it from being a dance company that produces, you know, dance productions. It will mainly be Dalloy, a fluid, a potent um, and fluid space for people to cohere, um, care for one another, collaboratively exchange. and yeah we're opening it as a once a week you know just just gathering by a zoom and it could be live and so any of you artists Um, Filipinos or not um, from any part of the world who wants to jam with us um, you can enter that space, Um, we're going to launch that in January and you know we believe in conversations even more and we believe that um, it's time especially for the Filipino audience and, and people who support the arts to um, look at it from a multidisciplinary perspective. And, and even us as dance artists, we don't want to be boxed into just the dance, just dancing as a genre. And so those who have ideas and are coming from different fields of the arts, please be in touch. We would love to jam with you and maybe you know, do work together or co-create something together or just build relationships um, together. Yes,
0: and I fully support, if you need a reference, (laughs) I definitely, yeah, encourage uh, anyone who is feeling called to reach out and be a part of Dalai. They are doing amazing, important things. And we like to end the conversation with three questions. You can say the first thing that comes to your mind. Whatever comes is the right thing. When she comes, okay. that's <laughs> uh, So the first one is, what is your favorite Filipino word? What does it mean and why does it have a special place for you?
1: Kilig. Mm-hmm. Kilig is like, it's like that, like, like you're shaking in giddiness. I, I like it because there's no one like specific exact English translation to it. So like, I feel like it's a special Filipino word and I mostly get kilig. I love getting kilig.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it's easy for
1: me to get kilig. <laughs> How
0: it translated? It's kind of like goosebumps,
1: yeah, but, but, but it's more but, of a feeling. Yeah, it's more of a feeling, and it's more affectionate. Yeah. and and, So how do you say it? It's affectionate goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't translate. You you just have to know. Yeah, Yeah, and it also makes me feel proud that that's how sensitive Filipinos are.
0: I think it might have been Marie who mentioned it in our, our previous conversation that Filipino is such a poetic language that it it translates so well in the way that you hear it and the way that it's sung that oh. when you try to translate it in English or another language, it, it doesn't fall yeah.
1: Yeah, in the same yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree.
0: <laughs> and the other okay. one is how is kapua showing up in your life today?
1: Today, the more that I'm practicing being in daloy or being in the flow, being in the present moment awareness, being in more parikiramdam or intuition, and the more that I'm being in practice of what needs to be said and what needs to be not said, before, I used to think of that in other Filipinos as, ah, they're so passive-aggressive, we're so passive-aggressive, and then resentful, and then kim kim, and then that leads to, like, they go to the neighbor and do rumors and et cetera, et cetera. And I used to, like, hate that. Like, I hate that. So I tell my mom, my tita like, why don't we just become straightforward? It's just become straightforward. And now I'm seeing the value of, of, of that also, I'm seeing I'm seeing like a 360 degrees awareness of what that is and the value of just because I can say it doesn't mean that I should. And, and sometimes, you know, the other person, where they are emotionally and psychologically, they're not ready to hear the truth. And I can hold that without judgment. I can hold that with pakikipagkapwa that, yeah, that person just needs someone to sit with. Yeah, or laugh with, or I don't know, watch the sun go down with. That's it. So, so I feel like I'm in that practice of pakikipagkapo when I'm aware of what needs silence. <laughs>
0: yes, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think that, is a, that has also been a big lesson for me is not, not rushing for me, it's the not rushing to fill the silence, that there is value in, in the pause and the silence. And we're in a time where we're being asked to be a little more silent, but not everyone is silent. And the last one that we like to close the show with is what is the biggest lesson that you're learning these days?
1: Listening, listening. Like I would say... Um, as I as as that word left my mouth, like there's another voice in my head that goes, "Yeah, like that's a big lesson because we thought we learned that lesson already." <laughs> 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 and then and then yeah, listening and then to counter that voice is, yeah, but um, now that I'm privileged enough to be around nature and be in nature. I'm really learning that we go through cycles and seasons, and yes, and, and we face the same lessons again and again. Um, not to berate ourselves, but to see that that we could unpeel, unpeel layers of it even more. I'm learning now the value of listening. So so that's connected to the quiet or the the silence um, that I answered in the previous question, and it's listening to a room, listening to what other people are not saying. And most especially honing this, cultivating this um, capacity to listen by being fully embodied when we listen, to not only listen with the ears, but how to be fully present when we listen. And another deeper layer of that is how can I cultivate that act of listening towards me so that I could get the radical self-honesty that will lead me to a kind, compassionate, but also radical in itself, truthful self-expression so that other people and, and my loved ones, my immediate community, we could understand each other and, and again, you know, unite that divide.
0: Definitely a lesson that needs to sink in. Yeah, let that marinate for a little bit. <laughs> And if anyone is feeling called to be in conversation, to connect with you more after hearing this, how can they reach you?
1: Uh, I'm on Facebook as Aya Torado. I'm on Instagram as Aya Torado. You can also reach me via email. My email is goddess coming home at gmail.com
0: <laughs> c-o-m-i-n-g <laughs> that's funny <laughs> thank you so much Aya. this has really been
1: thank you.
0: an amazing time to catch up and learn more about you and, and listen I, I think wow. that lesson is, is definitely coming through
1: in, in you are an amazing listener Paul And an amazing teacher. And this is important work what you're doing with this podcast. So I'm honored to be here.
0: And that was today's episode. Thank you so much to Aya for joining the conversation. All the info mentioned for her Instagram, website, and upcoming offerings will be included in the show notes. If you like what you heard and feel called to connect further, subscribe, leave a five-star review for the podcast, and follow us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. We host an IG Live After Show the Monday after the episode is released, and it's a great way for you to be involved in the conversation with us. We also just recently joined Clubhouse, an audio-based social platform. You can connect with us there at Kapwa Convos with a K. This podcast is a part of Kapwa Yoga, a movement and mindfulness practice that integrates my background in dance, yoga, and organizational psychology. You can check out our website, www.kapwa.yoga, to find out more about our services. A special thank you to Uga for the theme song and episode production. You can find out about him on Instagram at uga.xyz. Thank you for listening. Maraming salamat and catch you on the next conversation.